Hi, this is Dr. Jose Saldivar with the First Year Experience Podcast. Joining me today are... Cynthia Saldivar. And... Christina Canfield. And today we are going to be talking about addiction and sort of the different facets of addiction, um, where students can go on campus if they're dealing with addiction um, for help and support. You know, I think a lot of times um, addiction is, is something that maybe goes unrecognized and certainly isn't necessarily discussed openly. But I think just given my experience, I see and have seen countless students that, um, that are dealing with it and often don't know where to go to, for help um, and, and don't know how to cope. And so hopefully today we can have a really good conversation about all of these things and leave feeling like maybe we, we can provide some good advice and some direction for our students out there who are dealing with addiction. Um, so who'd like to start? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess my, my story is going to be a little different. Um, I personally have never dealt with addiction, um, but as I stated in a previous podcast, my father was an alcoholic mm -hmm. up to the day that he died. Um, and he was a violent and not nice alcoholic. So my childhood in high school was very much dealing with his addiction. And I remember when I graduated college and coming home, I would do AA meetings with him. And so I kind of have that perspective on addiction. So yeah, so I, that's what I will be talking about. I don't know. Well, I, I, I think, um, and, and, and thank you, Cynthia, because I, I think, one thing that I failed to recognize is that while our students are dealing with addiction, the majority of our students live at home. And, you know, we don't we don't have a window into their lives, but I imagine a number of students can can relate to your experience and being at home, living with someone who is dealing with addiction and then dealing sort of with the fallout and the effects and how that impacts the sort of the, the stability at home and whether or not they can get their 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 things done and they can focus on college and, and things like that. Um, Christine, you wanted to jump in? Sure, I, I love that perspective and it is, it's so important. I work with a lot of students who aren't struggling with addiction themselves, but are dealing with a loved one and how much that affects their life here at school. Um, my perspective is a little bit from the other side. So um, I celebrated 12 years clean uh, this past February. Thank you. So a little over 12 and a half years clean and sober. Um, so I was 21 years old and a junior in college when I went to detox for the second time. Um, and so a lot of my story is, you know, I went to college, I think like anyone else, you know, excited, supposed to be the time of our life. I think they tell us, I don't know about all that, but you know, I was a 4.0 GPA student in high school. I had scholarships, you know, so I don't think there was this expectation I was going to go to school and turn into like this huge party person. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if it was the isolation or the loneliness of college or um, whether there was just low self-esteem or there's, I think there's so many factors for me. Uh, but I started partying like my freshman year, I started going to parties and drinking a lot. I, I always kind of jokingly say, but it's the truth. My first week of college, I smoked pot for the first time, did cocaine for the first time, tried Molly for the first time, um, and drank to, you know, almost a blackout and almost missed my first day of classes because of it. And, and that still didn't stop me, you know? And so I, you know, increased these 
partying behaviors over the years and I, and I was for the most part able to keep it together mm-hmm. you know and in some respects for a while you know and then my junior year everything kind of fell apart um I got introduced to to heroin mm-hmm. um started using IV heroin and at, at that point I could no longer pretend mm-hmm. like everything was okay I was barely making it to class you know was not able to get assignments turned in and and I eventually I dropped out you know, I dropped out, um, went to detox, came back and just couldn't do it. I didn't know how to be a college student without substances. It was a yeah. terrifying experience for me. Uh, and I ended up relapsing, went back to detox again, um, took a year off of school and then came back and was finally able to get my you know, bachelor's degree and master's degrees, you know, not only successively, but I did them back to back. Um, and so I think my perspective is really this idea of a person who went to college as kind of that goody kid from high school, yeah. you know, fell into that sort of college lifestyle that Hollywood tells us about, you know, yeah. and unfortunately it didn't end well for me, uh, but I was able to come back and, and rebuild my life. And I think that that's important. And that, and that's great. I think, um, uh, I think students, anybody listening, I think will appreciate, uh, the fact that you know, in, in spite of obstacles, challenges, right, setbacks, that there's always that opportunity. There's that mm-hmm. opportunity. And, and if, if they can find that help, uh, find the support, that there is that opportunity to, to overcome and, and to, to see sort of this process through at least the mm-hmm. sort of the graduating and getting the bachelor's and master's and, and what have you. You said, I think that's something really interesting. You, you know, you said your first week of college, right? You tried for the first time. <laughs> yes. As a high school student, how would you describe yourself? I was actually um, a really involved high school student. Um, I was in theater and all of these organizations. Um, I competed in with the Forensics League with my theater group. Um, I took dance. I did ballet, tap, and jazz dancing. I was a really involved student. I was yeah. a straight-A student. You know, it was like every parent's dream, especially my parents, till I went to college. But, I, you know, and um, so I was a super involved high school. I was kind of an all-around sort of all-American girl. There, yeah. You know, I think a couple of times I partied in high school, but I never really... I think the thing that always stood out to me when I think back on my life and I think back of this journey that I took from high school through college and my, my active addiction days and then into recovery from addiction, um, I never really felt like I fit in. Like, even though I was a really involved young person, I always felt sort of different. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe I had a missing puzzle piece somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um and I felt very isolated from my peers, even though I was really involved. And I just sort of felt like I'm kind of weird compared to other people. Yeah. And so when I started, when I went to college, that got worse, you know, because I already felt like that in high school. But I kind of felt found my fellow weirdos in uh-huh. high school. <laughs> and then we all went different places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to college, it was like, oh, great. Well, I'm the only weirdo again, you know. And I think that all students experience that to a certain extent. We come to college and we think... Like, oh my gosh, I have to start all over. Our friends from high school or maybe somewhere else or they're doing something different. And it's a very, it can be very isolating for some of us. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your story, I think, um, for me, all of a sudden, a lot of things started to, to make (laughs) sense, um, for my own life. Um, you know, like you, I think I was, I was a good kid. I, 
I don't, I think I'd had beer once, right? I'd never tried anything and got to college. And, and my experience was I, I too was trying to fit in. I, I worked really hard to be liked, mm-hmm. right? I wanted everybody to like me. Mm-hmm. So I would like go room to room and like, Hey, how you doing? And, but I remember my, my friends kind of like your friends kind of went all over the place and I'd never experienced peer pressure in high school. And thinking about it now, the first time I ever experienced peer pressure was in college, but it wasn't like what we see in TV, how it's portrayed in the media. It was my friends calling and we're all checking in on each other on a weekend and talking about partying Mm -hmm. and kind of almost like this badge of honor, Mm -hmm. like who had the craziest party story. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta one up David, or I've gotta one up, you know, my other friend. And so calling each other, kind of like, and so all of a sudden the peer pressure wasn't, oh well, you bet, no, but it was more like, oh, you're not really living up right to this college, the those expectations, and, um, and I know my my, you know, in college is where yeah, I drank really for the first time, I smoked pot, um. And because trying to fit in, trying to find right and acceptance and fit in amongst the different groups. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think a lot of our students are still trying to find themselves, right? And it's, it's this big transition period, especially those first two first year and second year of college. Yes. And so they're trying different things and trying to, and, and the funny thing is, you know, we, as a faculty member, and even when we work with students through student services, wasn't that what we're telling students? Get out and try new things, experience new <laughs> things, sort of find yourself, right? Be uh, careful. <laughs> yeah. The, but it's kind of like the be careful is kind of like a like a under our breaths, kind mm-hmm. of like, but be careful, right? We don't. Um, and so I think we we walk this fine line of encouraging our students to go out and find themselves, but at the same time, you know, may, I, I don't know how do we how do we best equip our students for sort of those. Mm-hmm. those obstacles, those, you know, those traps that sort of lurk around the corner. I mean, I think what's amazing now compared to when I was starting college 16 years ago um, is I think we talk about it more now, which is so important. We've come such a long way in the collegiate field going, mm-hmm. okay, this is an issue. And if we don't talk about it, we can't do anything to change the culture And I think what, and I talk about this whenever I guest lecture classes, I always bring up this point because it's so important. We really live in a culture and a society that tells us these are the best years of your lives. You're supposed to go out and party. You're supposed to like do all of these, you know, big major things. And we're trying to find ourselves. We're going to this huge, you know, developmental transmission from really adolescence into adulthood. It's all crazy and confusing. And we're supposed to figure out what we're supposed to do with the rest of our lives. I don't know. It's, it's so much pressure, you know, and, and, um, you know, so we have, we live in this society that tells us, and it's actually a tagline from a 1997 South Park episode. I'm a big South Park fan. And it's, there's a time and a place for everything. And it's called college. And (laughs) we send this idea to our young people, like, this is the place where we're supposed to one up each other and have these like crazy, you know, partying war stories almost. And, um, but we fail to address that addiction as a brain disorder is 60 to 70% biological. 
you know, so I think about Cynthia and talking about her dad. You know, you know hearing y'all's experience, mine was completely different. Right. Um, because when you grow up in an environment that isn't stable, mm-hmm. and I love my father, and I hate, it's so hard for me to talk about this because mm-hmm. I think it demonizes him in a way that that's not who he was, right. but this is part of who he was. Mm-hmm. And so in high school, I found my people and most of my best friends and we're still friends in high school have either an absent father or an alcoholic father. Mm -hmm. And so my high school experience was we drank. I hope my mom doesn't hear this, but we (laughs) drank so much. And like my junior and senior year, it was the typical like high school parties and the keg parties and like, and I think for us, it was a way to deal with what was going on at home. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember driving, um, getting into this horrible fight with my dad. And it was one of the few times that he actually hit me. And so we're going to a football game. And one of my friends is like um, hugging me. And we go to this football game and I am feeling all of these emotions. And so what do we do after the football game? We go and get trashed. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those like, hey, it's going to be okay. Let's get drunk together. And um, I think a reason why I didn't fall into addiction was because I got to a point where it's like, I'm going to become just like my father. Mm -hmm. And you have these like conversations in your head of like, I don't want to put my family through this. Um, I have two older brothers and we talk about how we're so scared we're going to be like him. So it was always like a, no, you need to stop. Or there was always that line where you needed to like, you couldn't cross that line. You Mm -hmm. couldn't try that because then you know, addiction is hereditary and where is it going to stop? And, um, now that I'm older and I have a kid and my son, my brother has a son, we have conversations like, does it skip a generation? And then, um, our kids are fortunate that they're not going to grow up with what we did. So we were always scared. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if it skips a generation and they don't see how ugly alcoholism can be, are they more susceptible to it? And so it's always this fear. Mm -hmm. Like, Always. And I think it's important like you bring up that cyclical pattern that I think happens in alcoholic families, you know, and, and, and a lot of people I think have a hard time grasping that understanding of, well, if you're dealing with an abusive alcoholic father, mm-hmm. but you're coping with it with alcohol, with drinking with alcohol, how does that make sense? Well, it, maybe logically it doesn't make sense, but the addiction mm-hmm. doesn't make any logical sense. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we know it's 60 to 70% biological now. We understand that now scientifically, what we don't understand is like, why does it skip certain generations? Why me and not my full biological sister? You know, I always jokingly, and I hope she does listen to this because she'll get a good laugh out of it. But I always joke about my my younger sister because there were times where we drank together and partied together. Um, but when my addiction like really got to that point where it was obvious that it was out of control, that my life was unmanageable and I was not stopping and I was going on to harder drugs, doing things to maintain my addiction that didn't make any sense to anybody. You know, she was like, Oh, I don't want to be like you, you know? And I'll, I'll never forget when she quit smoking cigarettes. It was like, she just quit. She just quit. I was like, I wanted to burn the world down when I quit smoking and I still struggle, you know, it's, it's like, really it's hard. Like for me to hear those stories, and it's like, oh, so-and-so quit drinking the day he had kids. Right. And then for me to have those conversations with my father, because then it starts like, do I not mean enough to you? Like, how do you not just quit? Mm-hmm. Like, people wake up every morning and they quit. And so growing up, that was like the biggest struggle for mm-hmm. me. It was like, I hear these conversations of like, 
people like, who could just stop. How hard can it be, right? Um, and I think I didn't really get it until I walked into an AA meeting with him. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's it's not that easy for some people. And it's not that he didn't love me. Right. And, and it's not even that he didn't want to stop. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember... I remember like so many times being on a bender and like laying in some strange place next to probably some strange person and doing God knows what, what types of drugs and, and crying, like waking up crying and, and wishing I could stop, you know, like wanting to go home to my family, wanting to be with my parents and wanting to just stop what I was doing. And I couldn't. And it was interesting. You brought that up because I was at a conference in DC this past summer uh, where we addressed college students and addiction and just specifically. And there was an author there for a book called The Hijacked Brain. And I have a cop- I have several copies in my office in case anybody wants to borrow one. But he talks about addiction in a way where an, the average person, right, would, would look at this behavior and say, oh, my God, that would kill me. You know, like, how can you not stop? You could die. But to a person whose brain has been completely hijacked by addiction, um, their brain switches. It's like those survival mechanisms completely get taken over in the limbic system of our brain. And our brain starts saying, without this, I'll die. You know, and I remember that. Like, I remember thinking, like, I want to quit, but if I don't, I'm, I'm going to die. And you're probably not going to literally die. But that's why your entire survival mechanism in your brain completely goes haywire. Um, and we don't understand, like, why... That happened for me, but not my biological sister. We just don't understand the exact like genetic science of it yet, but they're working on it, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty amazing. But I'm glad to hear that when you went to an AA meeting with your dad, like some of that stuff started to make sense, you know, because if someone's dealing with a loved one, that's what I always hear the most is I just don't understand why they can't stop. And I have to tell them, like, it's not that they probably don't want to, it's that their brain is literally telling them they're going to die if they stop. And it's so hard to like wrap our brains around if we've never been there. Yeah, my dad never stopped. So the day that he died, he never stopped. stopped. And so I guess I, I get it. Like I get it was, it was more than just his lack of love for me or, you know, it, it was just a part of him. And he had a lot of demons and a lot, he went through a lot. So I can understand where that was his survival mechanism Mm -hmm. and you know but growing up it's hard when you're a kid oh yeah to like wrap your mind around that and i think what's interesting is i had a similar but yet different experience where my parents drank quite a bit and partied quite a bit when i was growing up but i think to me it was always sort of glorified because there was no violence there it's not Mm -hmm. like my needs were never not met as a young person, you know? Um, It was more like a glorified thing to me. And even the couple of times I partied in high school, you know, my parents sort of, sorry, parents, but, you know, like, I won't say condone it, but they didn't, you know, say you can't do that either. You know, I, I think when I started drinking a lot more, they showed a little more concern. They were like, okay, we're really worried about you um but for the most part like I looked at I drank in bars with my parents before I even turned 21 you know and so it was part of our lifestyle but not in a way where I looked at them and said oh god like I never want to be like them Mm -hmm. look how horrible of an alcoholic they are it was like no 
kind of partying and like the fun bar lifestyle was sort of in my life for a long time. What I didn't know was that my brain is missing some switch that tells me when to stop, you know? And I think that that, like, that's the difference between me and you, Cynthia, Mm -hmm. I think is like all of my friends in college could like stop partying on Sunday and start studying for class on Monday. And I couldn't stop, you know, it was, I just could not stop. My dad used to call it the spark. So what? Always the spark. So I would always have these conversations with him. Like, am I an alcoholic? I love to drink. Like, and I would get scared. And he was like, if you reach a point where you're at a bar and you have a couple and you feel a spark, if you can walk away, then you don't have a problem. But if you cannot walk away and you need another one, then you might have a problem. Students ask me a lot too, like, how do I know if I have a problem? And I always say my rule of thumb is, is if you think you might have a problem, it might be an indicator that you probably have a problem. (laughs) Because normal people don't really sit around, you know, wondering, unless they've had an experience like yours growing Mm -hmm. up and there's that fear, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be like my parent or my loved one. You know, there's a point where I think we start questioning, like, oh, do I have a problem? It might be time to seek some type of help. And it yeah. doesn't mean that you're like a full-blown addict who needs to go to rehab or something. Addiction exists on a continuum, yeah. you know? And so there's people like Cynthia who could recognize pretty early on, like, oh, I don't want to be like that. And maybe I'm drinking too much. And they can change that behavior. And there's people like me who went all the way to the bitter ends, you know, and you know, was facing jail time and all of that kind of stuff before it was like, okay, this, this is really hitting bottom, yeah. you, know. you know. It's funny that you talk about your parents. My mom is so anti-drinking mm-hmm. and it's because of my dad. I bet. And we can't even like have one beer without her like losing it and freaking <laughs> out and like World War Three in our house. And it, it's crazy to hear like both perspectives mm-hmm. on it. But it's so cool too, you know, and again, you know, when I talk to classes, one thing I always say, you know, if I'm in an auditorium of 50 students in a class, statistically, somebody is sitting in there feeling like no one understands them. Yeah. You know, either they're struggling or they think they may be struggling with an addiction or they outright know and they don't know where to go for help, you know, or somebody is sitting there dealing with a parent. And they're scared to go home after class. And they're sitting there and they're thinking, no one could possibly understand what I'm going through. And then you got to throw in like, okay, we live in this society that tells us, yeah, party in college. It won't ruin your life. Okay. But then we also live in this society that doesn't want to talk about addiction, you know? And then there's this stereotype, this stigma, Mm -hmm. you know, that addicts are like terrible, like street junkies or something. And it's not like that. You know, I was... A good student you know who was using drugs and I don't mean like just smoking pot or whatever you know which pot can become marijuana can become a problem for people depending on you know their genetic makeup and everything but you know doing cocaine in the bathroom before class and then just I, I you know my professors loved me when it came out I had a problem everyone was like what you know but when it was apparent it was really apparent you know so we live in this society that tells us, oh, this is the time you're supposed to party. And then they also send us this message, but, you know, addiction, that makes you a bad person. And, yeah. You know, there's something wrong with you. And that's not the case. Those And those two things just can't exist together. Yeah. You know, and 
And that's why it makes it difficult to talk about. And I've just sort of made, I've just sort of taken on this like beacon, like, okay, I'm going to be the person who's going to challenge like yeah. all of these standards. And, um, and so I just, you know, for the students that are thinking there's no one who could possibly understand what I'm going through. I'm so open about my story because I want them to know, no, there's people who know exactly what you're going through and they want to help you because, you know, I run the collegiate recovery program here at UTRGV. I deal with students every single day who are either actively using drugs and actively seeking help or students who are dealing with a loved one, maybe an, an abusive loved one. I've seen that even. And what do we need to do to get them help? You are absolutely not alone because I felt that way. There's no one else who could possibly understand and I'm it's so through. hard when you, I think, deal with somebody with an addiction because my dad is the greatest man I think I've ever known. And that might seem crazy, right? But it's so hard when he was sober and he would do anything for you. And then to try to talk about his ugly side mm -hmm. and you feel this guilt of I'm making him look bad. People are going to think he's horrible and everybody loved my dad. But only the people who lived with my dad really knew my dad. And so it's so hard to like, you know, go to your aunt and you try to have these conversations and she's like, I just let him drink. He's so fun. Mm -hmm. It's like, but you, you don't go home with him. Right. It's the you Dr. Know. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. It totally is. And I was the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in my family. You know, it was like you said, I could, it could be fun at one point until it wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, and then it wasn't fun. You know, when I'm stealing from my sister, like that's not fun. So Christina, tell me, tell us about the Collegiate Recovery Center and tell us, you know, sure. tell us about the, the, the space, where is it located, um, and, and what are the services that, that are available to students? Sure. It's, um, so Collegiate Recovery Programs are not a, a, not a new, new thing in mm -hmm. higher ed. Um, Texas Tech has actually had one for, I think, over 30 years at this point. UT Austin's program has been around for over 15 years. I want to say maybe longer than that. Um, and so essentially what happened was the UT system said, right. what an amazing program for young people either dealing with addiction or who are in recovery from addiction. We need to make this happen on every UT system campus. And so that's how we got our program here a couple of years ago. Um, so we're located in University Center, room 102, okay. just across the way from the counseling center uh, and you know, we, we have an open door policy, so anybody can drop in anytime, which I love because it's such a homey space. Um, but that's where I sit normally. <laughs> so, um, in Brownsville, we have a space as well and it's in Cortez 220. Um, we're still working on growing the program a little more out there, um, which is happening. So that's pretty mm -hmm. exciting. So our office is pretty nice. We always have coffee going. Um, there's couches. Sometimes our students will just hang out in there between classes because it's a comfortable, safe space for them. Um, we do have support groups. So we have AA meetings um, or NA, Narcotics Anonymous meetings, every day of the week um, or Smart Recovery. There's, there's always something happening in regards to a support meeting every day of the week, and we're working on adding more. Um, sometimes students just drop in, you know, especially if they're just trying to stop using drugs. You know, a lot of times they'll just come in and be like, oh my God, I got a parking ticket. All I want to do is like, go get high and we'll just chat, you know, or sometimes people learn about our program, um, and they'll just come in and they'll be like, okay, 
I heard about you guys, like I need help, you know? And I think the coolest thing for me is me and my staff person, like we are both in recovery from addiction. So we've lived it. We've been there. Mm -hmm. We've been young people who were caught up in the grips of addiction, who have gotten clean and have dedicated our lives to helping other people. Um, so it's like, you don't have to fill out an application you don't have to make an appointment, which I love. You could just come in and say, I need to talk to somebody. And one of us is going to sit down with you and maybe have a cup of coffee and figure out what's going on. Um, things that we've done is, uh, we have helped people get into detox or treatment. We have done that, um, actually several times we've had to work with students, to help get them where they could actually have like medical assistance. And I mean like 28 days sometimes inpatient drug yeah. and alcohol treatment. Um, so we've had to work with people with the registrar to help medically withdraw sometimes so that they can get their lives back on track. And then we help them reenter the college atmosphere because here's one thing I always tell people when you are a young person in recovery from addiction, college becomes the most hostile environment that you can put yourself into. And that sounds crazy, right? Because college is supposed to be the best years of our lives. But when you're a young person, this happened to me. I was 21 years old, trying not to use substances, not to drink, not to do anything. And then, you know, people would ask me really hard questions like, do you want to go to the bar after class? And I'm like, ah, I don't drink. Then it's like, how do you make friends? Like, how do you make friends if you're living this lifestyle? And so what we do is we connect peer to peer. Awesome. And I love that because there's nothing more powerful to me than one student walking in and saying, you know, I'm using heroin. I'm a mess. I'm going to die and introducing them to another peer who says, I've been there. I've lived it. I got clean. Here's how we can help you. So it's not just me and my staff. Like there's also peers, you know, who've been there, who've lived it, who are living in recovery and they're students and they're succeeding who can show their other, their peers that it can be done. Yeah. It can be done. So I love this. We have peer-to-peer -peer services, groups, um, referral to treatment if needed, just some one-on-one -on -one time if needed. Um, anything that you need to help you get through this time in your life, we're going to be there. Because sometimes it's just a shoulder yeah, and a hug. I like to hug. So if you need a hug, I can do that too. <laughs> awesome. I'm a hugger too. So. Terrific. I mean, this sounds awesome. I, I think, um, you know, we're going to close up the podcast here, but I mean, what advice would you give to students? I think there's two, it's twofold here. You know, um, one is to know that you're not alone because it is easy to feel very alone and that is your brain lying to you, you know, um, and please never hesitate to walk into my office and tell me what's going on. I'm not going to like call the cops or anything like that. It's confidential. It's, you know, you come in and we're going to have a conversation and we're going to figure out where we need to go from there. Um, and then the other side with Cynthia, like in her story and dealing with a loved one, my biggest thing is self-care. It is exhausting taking care of an addict. I know because not only am I an addict in recovery, I've taken care of my share of loved ones too. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that my best friend passed away last November from complications from a drug overdose. So he actually overdosed in April, 2015. And then 18 months later, 
died after having two open heart surgeries um, and living in a nursing home for the last 18 months of his life, I was his caregiver. I was his medical power of attorney. And that is exhausting work. That is exhausting work caring for loved ones um, who are either dealing with the consequences of their drug use or alcohol use, or they're actively using. I, I tell some of our interning counselors in the counseling center that working with addicts is some of the hardest work you'll ever do. It's also some of the most rewarding, you know? Um, and so self-care becomes extremely important, you know? Uh, and to know that you're not alone, um, you know, 25% of college students have a substance use disorder. That's like a quarter wow. yeah. of all college students. Yeah. Um, and so if you you take that and you kind of compare it, there's probably even more college students um, who are dealing with a loved one. So no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, know that you're absolutely not alone. Mm -hmm. um, and there are people on this campus who understand what, you've, what you're going through because they've lived it. Yeah. And all I want to do, all Cynthia wants to do, all any of us want to do is see you succeed. Yeah. I want to see you graduate. I want to see you succeed. Um, and we're here to help you do that. Awesome. Terrific. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, Cynthia, do you have any final thoughts? Or I, I just want to say um, it's hard. I think to my advice would be to seek help because mm -hmm. for so long it was always centered around my dad's problem that you don't pay attention to how exhausting it is to yourself. Yes. And then there are times when you feel like, oh, I'm over-exaggerating because it, it's not happening to me. But I think of when he was alive and just the stress of, is he drinking? Has he been drinking? Let me call him to see if I could tell that he's been drinking like every second of my life. And I wish I would have been more open about it. And so now that he's gone, I don't, I don't even know if I know how to have a normal life. Like I feel it, it's hard to even readjust with that. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely I would encourage people to be a little more open about it, even though it is extremely difficult to talk about. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you to both of you. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your stories. Um, just really, really powerful, powerful stories. Uh, I'm sure our listeners out there and our students um, will find something that they can relate to, something they can latch onto. And I, I do hope, I do hope they find their way to the recovery center. Me too. So They're always welcome. Thank you. Um, and and th that'll do it for today's uh, episode of the First Year Experience podcast. We look forward to having you with us next time. Thank you and goodbye.